0: Welcome to Electronically Yours
1: with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours, as always. Welcome to the 100th episode of this podcast. I never thought we'd get here, but we have. And we got a very special treat for you today. Somebody whose work I've admired ever since he started, really. His name is Norman Cook, otherwise known as Fatboy Slim, Other um identities include good lord there's loads of them um he's in the guinness uh uh, book of records for the most top 40 hits under different names internationally as well not just in the uk i mean massively popular guy he seems very happy very centered he seems to have a very happy home life he loves uh being creative and performing he's very self-driven I've got a lot of admiration for him. I kind of knew, but I'd forgotten that he was in the House Martins originally as bass player. Friends with Paul Heaton, who has been on the podcast as well. Can you imagine, in your wildest dreams, writing some tunes that were as popular for synchronisation as Right Here, Right Now? And um, praise you and, oh, good Lord, so much stuff, so much stuff. He's worked with David Byrne done remixes for Corner Shop, Beastie Boys Tribe Called Quest Groove Armada, Wild Child, all massively successful he's a box of tricks here he is, Fat Boy Slim let's start with um, what was it like growing up in Bromley and, and was there a scene there?
0: No, I didn't. I was born in Bromley, but I did. I grew up in Red Hill in Surrey. Oh right, okay. Was uh,
1: there a scene in Red Hill in Surrey?
0: There was a scene. There was a scene. Yeah, about, about uh, I came. I was really lucky. I sort of came of age in in the time of punk rock. So yeah. I was like fourteen in nineteen seventy seven, and, and my brother brought me home the first Down record, and I was just like, "This is it. This is what yeah. I need. This is the." the rebellion and and, and and noise and snottiness that I've always wanted in life. And there was a small um, but quite uh, creative bunch of people around there. Um, driven mainly by The Cure, Cure in the next town down in Hawley. It
1: was, a, um, right.
0: Yeah. So they were the first band nearest to do good. But by the time I was going to gigs, like The Cure were like the hot local band. Wow. So and a lot of the scene was based around them and so i played yeah i mean, immediately started playing that's the great thing about punk was like you don't have to be a great musician just have a go so i started i was on drums in the first band and then i was lead singer in that same band and then that band uh we were supported by paul heaton's band and um me and paul sort of hit it off immediately and then we we formed a third band which sort of eventually became the house minds but yeah no there was a good i mean it was it was red hill and Rygate were like this kind of uh sort of suburban commuter hell where you kind of have to try you have to fight to find something to do and make things to do and
1: make your own start, fun, man.
0: A, yeah make your own fun because so it's not laid on for you so i think that you know we we moaned about it at the time but Looking back on it, it was probably good because it kind of made you get up off your ass and do something rather than just moaning about being bored. So it's there was
1: been, same in Sheffield, really much bigger town, obviously, but kind of there was fuck all to actually. It's hard to be a passive consumer in Sheffield because there was not much to consume musically. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, we we were way more suburban than that, and yeah. uh, but I mean it's it's weird because I sort of. I didn't grow up in bromley but i felt when you see i just watched that sex pistols documentary and you know that whole thing about the bromley contingent it's like if there's a few of you and you've got nothing to do you find a way you know you find ways of going into london and so okay. there was a sort of rigate red Hill contingent in the same way there was a bromley contingent all
1: right okay and um disc attack i've got on my yeah. list is that your first battle uh,
0: that was the band that I was yeah, I started as drummer and then uh became lead singer right. through some kind of strange osmosis. Uh and that was my first um and we were we were um very much influenced by being Boiled. We used to do a version of That's Too Bad by the Tubo Army. We had a synthesizer player, which which put us aside from every other band. Which synthesizer. We get, or synthesizer owner. Which was a big thing in those days. Yeah. What was so, the synth? Sorry? What was the oh, synth? I don't know. I wasn't the owner of it, so I don't know.
1: Right.
0: It was. It'll come to me. I'll suddenly blurt it out in about yeah, 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 time.
1: And 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 it says on Art um, oh, Odyssey. I love the Art Odyssey. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says you went to school with with Keir Starmer. Is that right? Yeah
0: yeah and, and actually for, he was in my class for five years i mean a lot of people's like oh you're at the same school but he was actually in my class for five years right. at the local grammar school oh, uh man, spill and the beans. well there's not, there's not much to tell we used to have violin lessons together uh he was probably more interested in music than politics in those days bizarrely enough there was another kid in our class called andrew sullivan who or, who was like he was the genius he was just so brilliant at, at, at everything academic and he used to say his ambition was to be prime minister of england Keir <laughs> he, he never said a word he never mentioned it. he was he's like he was playing the long game um okay. yeah. but yeah i mean we weren't we weren't we weren't, the, we, weren't we weren't close mates no. but he but we knew each other very well so we, we shared a classroom for five years
1: oh well there you go you learn something new every day um so how long have you been a football fan
0: um not not hugely long actually where i grew up the local thing was crystal palace and i used to go there i used to go there a bit but i never really fell in love with them and it was just a kind of rites of passage thing you know you'd go tie the scarf around your yeah yeah run with the boys you know yeah yeah. Um, but i never really fell in love with them and then when and then i moved to brighton to go to college now palace and brighton are like sworn enemies so when i moved to brighton I, i couldn't get it falling in love with Brighton because all my mates hated him so much. (laughs) So uh, after about three or three or four years of living in Brighton, uh, I had a flatmate who who started taking me to games and I gradually fell in love. And it went from that to um, yeah, to becoming shirt sponsor.
1: I know, I saw that, yeah. When they yeah, were so in the uh,
0: which division were they in then? We were in the, the fourth tier, which would be, and those days was called the second division. Yeah. Uh but we yeah, we were we were a pitiful fourth tier team, but we were our local team and we loved them. So uh skint was our our, our local label and so we took great pride in, in being shirt sponsors. So for nine years we were shirt sponsors. I and absolutely then
1: absolutely loved skint as a, a on the front. Just genius, yeah. Especially
0: when when we played Redding, who was sponsored by Loaded magazine. So Skint plays Loaded.
1: <laughs> oh my god! So um, so how, how you were in the house, Martins, for a while, weren't you? Uh I think it seemed like a while. It's only like about three and a half years, I think. Was it? Oh, really? yeah.
0: I joined then- in eight, I joined in '85 when I finished. So Paul when Paul's from sheffield originally yeah yeah and he he'd moved down to surrey and uh because his dad had a job down there and that's where we knew him th- th- when i was at school and then when we were in this band called the stomping pond frogs and <laughs> we were kind of guessing for the top right well we were it was a sort of kind of prototype house martins it was very much a, a similar thing and paul wrote the songs and he brought wrote these fabulous songs and we were sort of getting somewhere but because we were getting somewhere, that caused me to fail my A-levels because I was spending too much time rehearsing and playing gigs. And so I kind of had a bit of one of those sort of impasses of what to do next. So I retook my A-levels at evening classes and thought, if I'm going to go to college, I've got to not be in bands. And so I went off to Brighton and the drummer went to up to London. Paul got really pissed off because we he thought we were going somewhere. He got really pissed off. So he moved up to Hull and thought, oh, you know, I don't want any. And so he sort of got up to Hull and uh, worked on the House Martins while I was at college. And then just coincidentally, when I finished, just after I'd finished college, they lost their bass player and I'd kind of been playing on their demos and still kept in touch with Paul. So he said, do you want to come and play bass for us?
1: Right. So
0: I ended up in the House Martins, which is a weird one because, it's a weird one because that musically wasn't me at all. No. Um, but it fit. It fitted into my 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 background and my upbringing, which was a sort of white middle class suburban punk rocker. So that kind <laughs> of music seemed like what I ought to be doing. But by that time, I was so so devastatingly into the funk. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I you know, I, funk and soul music had taken over my life, and um, yeah. So, uh, but at that time, I don't know. It just seemed like the white people making black music didn't really work for me. You kind of nailed it with, with, with Heaven 17, mm. uh, but you were very proficient. <laughs> and, and if you weren't, if you were, not if you couldn't play the hell out of bass, it's like, try and play like slap bass. And so I just, I had this thing where I, I was DJing playing funk music. And by that point, hip hop would come along. So I'm, I'm, I'm like a scratch DJ playing hip hop and funk, but I'm playing in this very white indie band. And the two things, kind of, for the whole time I was in the house buying, is I was kind of moonlighting, going off and DJing at the Wag Club and and Raw and and, and uh, sort of underground clubs. Uh, and it's only when the sampler was invented, or that when the sampler became cheap enough for me to get my hands on one, that's when it had to give. It was like I I had a, by that point I had an eight oh eight and I had a, a Roland S ten sampler with four seconds, right. four precious seconds, four of whole seconds. And I, four whole seconds yeah which you could have one four second loop or four one second loops or hits <laughs> and but i was having so much fun with that that uh i started doing these demos and i wanted to make music that was different and i started sort of my rhythm arrangements for the house housewives started becoming more sort of funk and drum machine based <laughs> and so the music musical differences getting and then around that time all the people that I'd been DJing with, like Cold Cut and Tim Simenon, were 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 having hits with this sort of music that I was into and I was making, and then yeah, obviously Pump Up the Volume was around that time, and I was I was like, ah, I'm I'm in the wrong band, I'm in the wrong oh. band. So that was that was why and you, you
1: it all came right in the end. But I mean, I used to uh, hang out at the Wag Club. I'm sure we were there when you, I'm sure I was there when you were DJing and. Uh, I was all part of that scene and Spike and Neville at the hug club and all that stuff. Yeah. And,
0: um, it, it was when all the people from that scene started making records and having hits with them. That's when I couldn't be in the house partners any longer.
1: Yeah. And, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and it's great. It's great. Cause me and Paul are still good friends, but he's so much more successful, not, you know, being able to wander off in, in, in that territory and me being able to go down rhythm rhythm Avenue.
1: I think your avenue. I mean, I did. I I did one of these podcasts with Paul, and um, oh, really, yeah, yeah. I'd never met him. Can you believe that? He's from Sheffield, and I'd never met him before. He's a Sheffield United fan, so that's why.
0: Oh, well, I see. Right. uh
1: yeah. But anyway, we got on like house on fire. Such a nice guy, and so such a talented songwriter. But um, I prefer your direction because I'm from that kind of soul, northern soul background you know that's what i was listening to throughout the 70s and 80s uh, you know early 80s and um but then we thought right so you aim for something completely different and somehow you land in the middle which is where the interesting stuff is you know accidentally yeah i like that
0: well it's i mean if you think that most music is is a kind of hybrid of two different things and it tends to be a hybrid between Something predominantly underground or black or gay, yeah, and then something very commu- and then sort of white straight people liking that, and then it meeting in the middle. So, I, you know, I mean, you know, your journey with Human League and with, I mean, you know, Penthouse and Pavement was such a groundbreaking album because it's like you know That's white nice. guys doing funk, <laughs> and, and and yeah, I mean, in my in my musical journey, that was. It was it was records like that and records like the first big audio dynamite album where I'm like, yeah, you can you can mix. But then if you look back, I mean, if you look back to what rock and roll was, rock and roll was just a white version of rhythm and blues. And when when I started having hits in America, like they said, hey, you know, what is this British invasion of you and the Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy? And I'm like, well, we're just taking sort of black records that we loved and, and widening exactly. them up a bit and then sending them back to you in the same way that the Beatles and the Rolling Stones did.
1: Exactly. So I think that, that
0: those kind of hybrids, they were And like you said, somewhere you meet in the middle yeah, yeah. and hopefully you meet in the middle and it really strikes a chord.
1: Yeah. yeah. Have you uh, seen the new Elvis movie, by the way? Not yet, no. Should yeah. I? Fucking awesome. Honestly, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of biopic musical biopics at all. But uh, I have to say, the guy who plays Elvis is is amazing, and the way they've done the well, you'll appreciate it because you're kind of a mashup. You've got a mashup mindset, right? So they've brilliantly hybridized the authentic sound of his original kind of records with contemporary beats. And contemporary. Well, that's um, that's the gene,
0: genius of that's the genius of Lerman, isn't it? Yeah. yeah no, I worked with I've worked with Lerman on um, Moulin Did Rouge. You? So yeah, yeah, Fuck yeah. Off. Did you? No, he got me to bastardize the Can Can. Yeah.
1: Well, anyway, he's done a brilliant job on Elvis. Uh, well, he
0: yeah. No, I can see. I because I, I was wondering where he would go with it. But yes, yes. when you said he mashed it up. Yeah, that's that's exactly what. he and would do. and
1: and, and, uh, and also the. Uh, there are certain key points obviously in the plot there's this uh, the one that is the most insanely impressive is where he um, he's, he's, he's just had his first record record out on Sun I think and and he's doing some kind of high school hop or something and and his manager at the time said you mustn't do any of that hip swinging thing you know because you know there are parents here and, and all that stuff and he goes oh fuck it and the women are just going insane. And you know how he's not short of a kind of attitude, is he? Baslerman. hes it's just beautifully done. And it really captures the excitement of all that stuff, I think. It felt like being there, anyway, to me. Um, I loved it. I saw it on the IMAX. It was great. Um, So let's talk about your... Um, yeah, you, so you love uh, funk and soul, and um, and then big beat comes along, and and suppose that that emerged from the technology, really, didn't it?
0: It emerged from the technology of of being able to afford a sampler with more than four seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I got a, I got a, I got an S nine fifty, which got me up to forty nine seconds. So that's like forty five seconds more of tune that you can build out of, and. I, yeah, it, it sort of, it started with me doing remixes and, and making sort of more hip hop records, but it, I'd, I'd found a way of basically using the sampler for pretty much everything. Right. Uh, just not having drum machine samples or breakbeat samples for the drums, but then reprogramming them, playing them like you would a drum machine. And then having just just banks and banks of, of loops of guitar riffs, bass riffs. And um and by the time I'd sort of did the second Fatboy Slim album, I kind of had this way where I would write the bass lines and that would be pretty much the only live thing on on the on the tune. And the rest of it would just be like a collage of tiny little fragments of other people's records. Some so small that you never kind of noticed what they were. And it kind of, it kind of worked for me. But it was, I suppose in in terms of that sort of cross-pollination and meeting in the middle, it was, it was the ultimate of that, because I kind of got to this formula where you took the pop music I grew up with, like, I grew up in the 60s with the Beatles, and then sort of glam rock in the 70s. You take the pop sensibility of that, you take the attitude and rule breaking of punk rock, and then you take the rhythms of, of hip hop and funk and a little smidgen of Acid out of the electronics of Ashes house over the top and that was basically what for me for what big beat was it was it, it was just the best bits out of the four different genres that i loved and, wow. okay. it, and it and it seemed to work because it it kind of had the, the the rawness and the roughness of of, of the of, of hip-hop and the rhythm of hip-hop but it had pop hooks that people could identify with that came from the pop sensibility. But it still had this kind of, let's, how many, it just seemed at that stage that the more rules we broke, the more people liked us, which I think <laughs> that uh, tickled the punk rocker in me. Okay, was, the
1: like, role... Want,
0: really? Yeah, you know, and in, yeah, yeah. in terms
1: of- The role of humour in uh, your stuff is quite important to think, Because, or not, humor's not the right word, the role of irony, I think is quite uh, important because it's like a leavening agent in the whole thing. It doesn't... I always get the impression with you that you you are fully musically focused and talented and everything, but there's always a little bit of mischief in there and that's what really takes it to the next level for me.
0: Uh, Well, that's very astute of you to pick that up. Thank you. I mean, I don't... It's not deliberate I don't think I mean there's part of me that I as a person don't take much seriously unless I really have to unless it's really required but also with music I kind of I'm better at making uplifting music that wants to make your make your your hips wiggle or your your head explode rather than I'm not very good at sort of you know evocative or mournful or deep so I don't know i can kind of sort of keep it bright and breezy and chirpy <laughs> but also i don't know I, also i just i don't know I, I find it i find it difficult to take myself too seriously if you kind of knew me as a person it's like it's hard for me to you know i am really you know cool or good looking or I am so in, yeah. the, in the absence of that i kind of sort of I, I inject humor but i inject humor into try and inject humor into most things i do in life whether you're listening to my tune or having sex with me, it's probably there's there'll, there'll be a gag in there somewhere, you know.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, move, moving
0: on. Um, <laughs> sure. so I put that image in your head.
1: At <laughs> the word gag is a bit of a worry, but uh, so, yeah, sorry, that was an
0: unintentional. Uh, <laughs>
1: um, So you got, from time to time, you must have got into trouble, well, I know you have, uh, got into trouble with uh, clearances, different samples and stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that was one of the many sort of the punk bits of it, was because we were making music in a different way that there was no kind of precedent set for what the legalities of it were. You know, no one had ever been able to sample chunks of other people's records and put them into their record. So the the law was not clear. And when I started doing it, it was all very underground and you were just pressing up a thousand twelve inches and they would be played in nightclubs. And because they're only played in nightclubs, nine times out of ten person who used sample would never ever hear it. Mm. And because of that they never they never said anything. So we just kind of thought, well, you know, unless you're actually taking their kind of hook line, then you know it's probably fair game. And um, obviously, as you know, in this industry, with the hits come the writs. So <laughs> when I did start to have hit records, then all of a sudden these people started hearing their bits, and and I was like, "Why didn't you say anything before?" And they like, "Well, we've only just heard it, and it's now already released, so we would like X amount of money." So yeah, and I got I got burnt a few times, and obviously um, I deserved it. Uh, I was a you know lax about accrediting people. Uh, and, but also, I mean, it, it was impossible to credit every single snare drum, you yeah, know? Cool. And so I had to, you know, I, uh, after the first album, I had to just go think, well, as a musician, would I be upset if, you know, if you're taking that, that's, if that's a hook line, that's a, that's a lyric. So we've yeah. got, we've got to clear that. So in, in latter years, I would clear the, what I thought was, things that I had um, stolen, <laughs> or appropriated rather than borrowed. And um, obviously, to this day, there's still little bits where where somebody hears a tiny little bit and, and comes at me. But I don't know, there's not so much because there's not so much money around there. It got really bad when just when I was having really big hits, and all these yeah. sort of lawyers realised that there was money to be made. And they started kind of ambulance chasing and it got to the point where people were actually buying up back catalogues of you know old soul records simply so they could get someone to go through them and work out not to not to repackage them and sell them but just retrospectively who who had sampled them so it got a little bit um it got a bit a little bit aggressive with with lawyers just really really coming at you but but then but then C D styles drop yeah. bottomed out and then the lawyers all run off. I don't know who what ambulance they're chasing now, but it's yeah. it's kind of back to a durable it's back to a durable level now.
1: Yeah. The I often think about the first Avalanches album, uh, you know, the one with that was made entirely yeah, yeah. Out of other people's records. And how the fuck did they get that cleared? It must have taken them eighteen months.
0: It did, I mean, all the Avalanche's records take about three years to make and then another two years to clear. Uh, so it did take a lot, but I, I'm, I'm assuming, like me, that they would have to go through and say, well, look, there's no point in clearing that bit because it's not really music, it's just a noise that's in the background. And um, But there's, I mean, I love, I love the way that they collage oh. fragments of other music they they've been a, a, a i've I really really admire and respect the avalanches for the the kind of ethereal way that things yeah. just things just seem to be going on in your mind as well as on the record
1: oh they are very smart i think personally um so you've won brit awards you've i mean you, you know your creations are familiar to the absolute nth degree but by the general public i mean does that I mean, I know we've had some success with HEM17 and Human League and whatever, but, I mean, literally, there was a time when there were, you could hardly put a fucking advert on <laughs> and there wasn't something that you'd been involved with that was on it. You must have earned so much money from synchronisation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it did get... Yeah, it might have got a bit too much on syncs and adverts at one point where it was just ubiquitous. But the thing is, I, you know, I've grown up as a a consumer of pop music and I what I love about pop music is not just about selling a record to one person. It's it's like it becomes part of the soundtrack of your lives, whether or not you've gone and bought that record because it was playing in a club when you snogged a girl for the first time or. in a film it's been it's it's kind of has a different life in a film soundtrack or i've never had any issues with my stuff being used for advertising uh a lot of people are very precious like you know i don't you know i don't want my music to be so you know selling soap suds but i've never really been precious about that i was like i'm just like oh that makes for me i'm part of pop culture doing that i mean one of my in 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 the whole story one all my sort of weirdest feelings of that's it i've made it and never about having a hit record it's all it's, it's things like i'll never forget the first time i heard one of my tunes on the jukebox in the queen Vic <laughs> in the background you know just in the background and there's a scene going on you're like hold on it's that a <laughs> happy hour in the background <laughs> and, and it's things like that That's the think like that you like you know you're part of the furniture yeah, when you're that's so i really love and 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 i really love it when football teams walk out to one of my tunes i mean oh. they play they play praise you at the end of every Albion match and it's it's always a really emotional moment for me <laughs> either you know tears or, <laughs> tears or gladness um but uh, you yeah, know i love the fact that pop music becomes part of your mm-hmm. you know emotional life i mean come live with me as it still brings a tear to my eye because about oh. a certain girl, a certain situation a certain time in my life and they do they sort of they weave themselves into life so I'm, I'm more than happy I was more than happy to be everywhere I mean there was a time I was more worried about kind of when I was first got together with Zoe that we were just this kind of tabloid couple and I wasn't very uh, comfortable with the, the whole sort of tabloid thing It was, we were really glad that we lived in Brighton and we stayed out of, tried to stay out of the limelight because I wasn't too comfortable with that. But I love, no, I love that gag of hearing your music in a strange place or someone saying, I mean, people tell me every now and then that they lost their virginity to one of my records. And that's probably about the the most (laughs) emotional you could make me.
1: (laughs) Baby making music. Yeah.
0: Or the fact that they remembered it when there was all that going on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they needed to keep tempo with, you know. I think you're quite postmodernist. Would you say that?
0: I'm not intellectual enough to know what postmodernist really means. I I mean, it sounds good. (laughs) Uh...
1: Well, this idea, uh, all right, so as I understand it, it's like a kind of reinterpretation of popular culture you know, through through time. And uh uh and it's all wrapped up with the um you know the, the, the sampling thing and I suppose everything was post modern in those days. But there was an exhibition on in at the V and A and uh it included one of our tracks and loads of you know Pet Shop Boys and I suppose you'd term it as an ironic wink to previous musical generations. Uh, so well, I, I think yeah definitely fond of
0: of, of that kind of baby yeah. yeah 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 I mean it it's I think it for me it's the idea that what I do is is not an art form it's part of a wider cultural meme yeah it's you know it's I'm not and that's why I don't t- take myself too seriously and, and be really kind of holier than thou about what I do it's like what I do that uh, um Chris Heath of one of my favorite journalists once described me as a shepherd of moments oh, and like oh. and I like I, I like that's, that's, that's like oh Yes, you I like that kind of come on. idea that yeah come it's by. just yeah, come by. Yeah, oh <laughs> break beat, come over here. Meet, beat, meet this this soul like a brother. And it, yeah, I I like I just like being in 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 pop culture, whether it's it's music or videos or DJing. I mean I think that's why I've kind of fallen out of of, of producing music in the studio of late. But I've my love, my passion for DJing has never been stronger, and that is that's kind of it's like kind of being a, like a wandering minstrel, you know, traveling from town to town, telling tales of you know, and <laughs> and, and 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 passing the information on. And it's great yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of you know. The, it, in the in the inter- obviously, in the you don't actually need a wandering minstrel in the days of the internet, but there's still a the kind of idea that you're sort of cross pollinating, going from city yeah. to city, taking one thing that you've, you've heard or seen, and and I love that. I yeah, I like that uh, that kind of role. Okay. And because I'm not a, I'm not I'm not a great musician.
1: No, me neither. No. Uh, tell us about your relationship with um, America
0: uh checkered checkered i i never i never really had much taste for it and the house mines, we never went to america we never set foot there and uh then beats international we had a bit of a bit of a minor hit but then they wanted to we went over and we met managers and it just seemed so corporate and didn't yeah. seem like much fun and around that time i was watching all so many bands who would be doing really well on like really broken England and Europe. And then they would you, they would disappear for a year and no, we'd never hear anything don't from them.
1: Want to do that, and no. then
0: a year and a half later, they'd either come back, it's like, yes, we conquered America. It was hard work, but we've done it. Uh, or they were you just never hear from them again. And that, you know, and then when you read their obituary, it's like, well, that you know, that third American tour just, you know, killed us. So I kind of I it, I I was like let's not risk ruining everything by trying to break america and i didn't think they liked it and and so i i was 20 years into the music industry before i'd ever attempted to do anything in america but then fat boy slim seemed to strike a chord there and um quite instantly so i didn't have to do the 12-week college radio tours and all that which is good because i refused to do them but i sort of fell into it with the second Fat Boy album um, and we were getting, you know, and a couple of film syncs and um, I suppose, you know, the 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 praise you video really, really yeah. broke me. And that kind of turned a lot of people on. And so I had for for a few years, I had this, you're big in America thing, which is great. And it was lovely. It was great for me to be able to travel around America and go to all these cities that I knew songs about. Or cities where I, you know, I, I've dug their culture or the, the particular music that came from there. That kind of sort of historical thing, and you know, made my pilgrimages to Detroit and to San Francisco, and and, and felt like parts of parts of those hearts were still beating. Yeah. Uh, and then and then and then it all then it all went flop, and you know, the third album didn't do so well, and then. They've got very short memories, the Americans. So uh, I, again, rather than slog myself, I was just like, well, look, if the geeks aren't, if the offers aren't very good, let's go, you know. And then by this point, I had Brazil was doing really well, and Japan and Australia, and it's like, well, let's go to places where they like me rather than trying to beat beat the Americans into liking something that they don't. <laughs> um, but then, having said that, the last this year, I kind of I went back because it was one of the few places I could I could get work. At the tail end the tail end of last year it was it, i was trying to play in europe and i was losing as many shows as i did mm-hmm. and the america yeah the well just you know through i couldn't get there i wasn't oh, right. or i'd have to in for two weeks when i got back it was quite it was like tiptoeing through a minefield for most of last year and so we just got a whole load of offers from america and we were pretty sure they'd happen so i've done three three trips to america already this year and i see i think i'm I've now gone so out of fashion that I've come back into fashion because they seem to <laughs> they seem to like me again. Uh, but it's yeah, it's um. Why? Why can I ask why you asked that question?
1: Just interested. I uh, I I've got a strange relationship, or Hem Seventeen has with um, with America. We're doing our first American tu- headline American tour this year, in first time in forty years. So, oh, um it's curious how things happen. That's all. And also, I've become Recently fascinated with Detroit. And I just wanted to ask what your opinion of Detroit was, because I've never been. Uh
0: it's it's an incredible. I for my degree, I did uh human geography. And Detroit was the biggest example of 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 modern urban blight in a way that a city can evolve around an industry. And when that industry dies, it's literally not just the heart of the city dies but the whole body dies so you it's a weird a human geographical anomaly where yeah. the whole inside of it is is now like it's either it's either um industrial wasteland or farmland in the center of detroit what? they've got all these urban farms well there's so much Derelict space in the center because the urban flight. I won't go bore you with all the details of how it Well, basically, they built this big city around the car. And yeah. then because everybody had cars, they started building freeways out so you could get out. Because it was so dirty and crowded in there, they, the, the richer people started living outside, mainly the white people. So then the white people thought, oh, there's two, you know, it's now predominantly black in the center. So all the white people moved out. So you then had a black center, which was, uh, had a lot of heart and soul and, you know, that, you know, Motown and, 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 you know, techno was, was there, but it was literally the, the, no one was paying any taxes in the city, all the people paid taxes outside. So the city went bank completely bankrupt. Everybody started getting so rough because it wasn't policed that all the black people started moving out. So first of all, the white people ran away, then all the black people ran away, then you were left with nothing. And I've never seen a city center so completely abandoned. You know, it makes Sheffield look like Beverly Hills. <laughs> and, yeah. and I just love that. And, it, and you know, and in the midst of that, in the midst of the the, the the industry that there was there, that industry lured lots of black people from the South, in the fifties, and they brought blues music with them. So the the economic and and, and industrial uh, movement dictated whole swathes of music that wouldn't exist if it hadn't distorted the human population. So the the the, the people the people black people came from the south to work in the th- and they brought blues with them. But then the blues became more urban, and they started adding more. It became more electronic and added drum kits and everything. So the I'm sort of post-industrial, post-industrial blues is very different, and then somewhere along the line, all that crazy shit happened with MC5 and Iggy Pop, and then techno. It's you know, it, it's it's a it's a, a absolute melting pot of all the most extremes of how humans, how the how the economics and the industry dictate the music, and vice versa.
1: I've got to go to Detroit. I've I've become obsessed with it recently. It's really weird. Um, Have you seen that film? There's a,
0: someone did a film. I'm trying to remember the name of it. There's a documentary charting the, 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 the thing. And it's, I think it's called something like the Detroit horror story or something, but right. yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty much on one hand, it's, it's the worst uh, a modern city has ever fallen apart and from the inside. But secondly, it's created so much music yeah. through tension and the economics and, and the race um, distraction. It's become it's become a hotbed of some of the best music.
1: Wow! Do you do any teaching? No. You should. You're very good. You at lucidly explaining uh, contemporary culture. Yeah, I think you should.
0: Oh, I'm not. I'm not that confident about public speaking. But I thank you for. <laughs> there was me. I was just thinking I'll oh, go. I've, I've rabbited on too long with, with what is <laughs> the this this subject? And it's it's great for me being studying settle, human settlement patterns. is great being a DJ because you fly all over places and and you you see the models of of uh, yeah. of the way cities grow or are built, and you see them from above. And like, ah,
1: I right. seen city, didn't it? I used to love that game. Um, so. Right, so I mean, so many successful albums. What, which one is your favorite? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I
0: mean, obviously, you've come a long way, baby. Has been yeah. by far my most successful album of my whole career, and and I and I still love a lot of it. I don't know about if you're the same but a lot of albums it's like even if they you know and especially the more successful ones he's like i never want to hear caravan of love again or (laughs) happy hour and no offense to it but it's it's done in my head you know the only time that everyone hear it is if i have to play it to somebody you know but things like things like right here right now i mean i've got this little i've got this floppy disk um when i was using creator Right. and you can get about five songs the, of, of, of the uh the, the sequencing on one disc and i've got one and it was like one week of my life and i wrote rockefeller skank praise you right here right now and don't forget your teeth in a row and out of yeah and like that was a good week but there was yeah there was something about the the time that i was doing it I'd done the first album and i kind of we knew i knew what was turning people on and i knew it was turning me on too and it's like okay i'll do more of the same but this time i'll take it further and i kind of had a focus of what i was doing which i think if you're working on your own if you're working with the band you can discuss things but it was just me on my own um and when i was writing it not even an engineer to bounce off so it's just me and in my head but it's like i knew exactly what i wanted to do and they seem to just be coming out and so i mean i wish i could take myself back to the headspace of that week because if i could write oh, no. that in one week
1: <laughs> it's like what well, they always say that don't they it's like um you know with with hem 17 it's like oh why did not you write you know why did not you write 30 years worth of temptation And it's like it was a moment in time you know you can't I've just said that, the re, the Brothers in Rhythm remix, ten years after the original release, also got in the top top five. So, um, so it's obviously a good song. We should just release that one every week, you know, doing that. But um, it's not that easy, is it, to replicate a vibe of a certain period?
0: No, no, I think it's impossible to replicate a vibe because it's more than just what you're thinking. It's, it's the, the life that you're living, you know... Uh, I was, I was single when I was writing that album. Uh, I was between a girlfriend and meeting Zoe. And so I was probably all the more focused because I was single and just, you know, there's there's so many different elements there can be that have to all converge for it to be just right. And, 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 you know, and I was, I was, I was still young. I was still living, I was walking the walk so I could talk the talk if you know what I mean I was hanging around in clubs all you know pretty much every night hanging around in clubs and then going into the studio after the club right or, or some of my best work was like kind of on a Sunday night when I had a really big weekend <laughs> and I was kind of can't operate any heavy machinery but all of the kind of crazy <laughs> ideas and noises of the weekend are still going through my head
1: is that your <laughs> is your brain the heavy machinery
0: uh No, no, I, no I, I, I was like, I probably shouldn't cut, drive the car because <laughs> oh, right. of what I've been doing all week But I can go in the studio and tinker around. And, yeah, it's, it's I, I mean, I was thinking about Paul McCartney at Glastonbury and thinking that he can just knock out songs like that. But people like him are so few and far between. He can probably knock out a song, whether he's in a good mood or a bad mood or, you know, for me, there's a lot more planets that have to align <laughs> before yeah. I come up with it
1: yeah i can take that Uh, tell me about david byrne david
0: byrne has been a huge huge influence on my life um i mean a a bit like you he's like a a white boy who like funk and i I, i'm excited i was excited about sort of hearing another white boy who like funk (laughs) incorporating it and like how do you do it and how do you do it and how do you make it cool and from the minute I bought Psycho Killer which was for the first twelve inch I ever bought. Yeah. And just loved it and and um yeah, so and then and then sort of followed everything he did where the, the more funky he got, the more he got into using black rhythms. Um I just loved it. And then bumped into him a few times and and uh on the road and stuff and told him how much I liked it. And then one day he ran me out and said, do you want to make, write a musical together? <laughs> and um, I, I said, yeah, it's like, can you ride a horse? I went, yeah, yeah, great, fine.
1: <laughs> can you do fencing It's when they uh, ask actors. Yeah, yeah. You. <laughs> yes,
0: you know, you're David Byrne, the answer is yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, so we, I mean, I helped him write a musical. He wrote most of it, but I helped him write and arrange a musical about the life of Melda Marcos, which I never dreamed that I'd end up doing, but for me, it was a beautiful thing. In in um, just because I don't know if you've ever met David or worked with him, he I haven't. Is, I'd love to. Right, he is so much more beautiful than he ever lets people know in the public. He always appears a bit a sort of evasive and nervy in interviews, and he never really lets his full character because he's such a charming, funny, and inquisitive and imaginative man. And working with him i learned so much about how you just question things and you know you know and, and thinking well i want to do that but i can't do that because i'm white so what's the way i could do that you know what's the way i could do that without pretending and um he yeah we i think we 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 think the same way on a lot of things but yeah so i worked with him on that and then he guested it on track for me and we've kept in touch and he's he's one of the he's one of the the big three for me in my career which i've worked with iggy Bootsy and David Byrne, and, and they
1: yeah.
0: were the, luckier. The other two I, I instigated, but the David Byrne one, you know, can you imagine getting a phone call with David Byrne? <laughs> do you want to do this? And because his thinking was that he wanted to write a musical about the life of Melda Marcos, but not for it to be about shoes. He wanted it about the fact that she was dancing at Studio 54, spunking all the money that all the US foreign aid that he, she'd been given. Wow. And He wanted to set it in studio 54 and he was thinking what's the modern equivalent this is how his mind works so he's thinking right i'm going to sit in a disco and we'll make it like a dance all singing all dancing uh ironic thing and so where would she be now if she was doing that now manumission in ibiza yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: then he looks at manumission or he asked someone and they said well manumission in ibiza is like the biggest hedonistic playground at the moment so then he looks at who the residents of animation is he sees my name he remembers that i like him and that we we think the same and so and then and that's why he bothered to phone me up so that's you know there is a logic to it it wasn't out of the blue he had a thought process of what he wanted to do and i was lucky enough to be within that thought process
1: wow and you're you've dabbled with kind of i hate the term but world music uh in certain things that you've done and i i I mean obviously david Byrne is very much influenced by all that stuff i mean did how how much has that been an influence on your career i mean did it did it was it recent was it to do with david Byrne, or was it something that you've always been interested in
0: i think it was to
1: do with rhythm right i've always
0: been more rhythm based than melody based and for me the the beginnings of a tune is generally a rhythm right and i don't know it was it was just um the idea that foreign rhythms some, somehow speak a different language yeah. so yeah so when i get offered to go and work in cuba with cuban musicians i'm like yeah again i say yes and then and that was for a film soundtrack and but they they sort of said do you know much about Cuban music i was like probably not enough and so they sent a, a specialist down to spend a couple of days just teaching me the difference between a, a rumba and a, and a son and you know what the instruments were and And i quite liked it i mean it's it's, it's something i've dabbled in i don't i wouldn't say i've earned my chops to play at mm. WOMAD or I could speak authoritatively. But um, having worked with Brazilian musicians and Cuban musicians and African musicians, I've, they, it's brought me nothing but joy and inspiration.
1: Yeah. Which part of Africa?
0: Uh, I worked with the Real Sounds of Africa from from South Africa. From,
1: right, right. I did some stuff with- um,
0: Harari.
1: Harare, yeah. And, I then, and then I
0: ended up going and, and, and playing all around South Africa and Zambia. Uh-huh
1: brilliant i did some stuff with um in in some townships near harare actually uh with some really i mean poor i'm talking poor 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 poor, poor township uh hip-hop artists who didn't have any instruments or they, there was one studio within a 50 mile radius you know and that that had broken down because the the generator had broken so i went out there with a friend of mine who's a kind of house producer from manchester called Neef hakinola and uh all we had was our two laptops with what we got on there or the samples that we got and and stuff and we had to improvise you know vocal booths and 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 stuff and we made an album uh it's quite basic but it's still fucking excellent we made an album with 12 different um uh hip-hop artists who'd never been released before uh just in this one tiny um township called Makakoba and um I was so impressed with their creativity down there the 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 rhythms of the way they rap are completely different to to um african American or european or whatever but it blew my mind actually and very futuristic stuff a lot of it as well
0: yeah for for me i think it's a little it's more like a kind of a hobby. I mean, I suppose, I think what it is. I've worked in Cuba, Africa, Brazil, Belize, uh, but no, none of them have ever been my greatest work. So perhaps that's not my forte. But I do. I really enjoy the process of just listening to. I think probably I. I enjoy listening to uh, unique rhythms from other countries yes. yeah as much as i despise hearing bongo players at the stone circle of glastonbury <laughs> it's like abuse of language one is <laughs> one is poetry and the other is just
1: shouting at you, you go boom 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 um yes i tell you there's, what I've, yeah there's more uh, you what i've got for you uh i'm going to share it with you as well is um i'll send it later there was. I was given access to to Africa's uh, largest repository of historic um, uh, tribal recordings to create some new stuff out of. And um, I'd forgotten about that actually, but I, I, the idea of giving it to Fat Boy Slim is like is like I'm distorting cultural development worldwide. Yeah, we're, we're that. <laughs> I'm going to send it to you anyway.
0: I, I think somewhere my head i've always one of one of my favorite most influential albums was duck rock by malcolm mclaren
1: very clever yeah.
0: very very clever but so like pop orientated but taking these different elements of different rhythms and it you know it's introduced a lot of people to hip-hop culture but also to to african rhythms and and but just that idea of a i don't know not it's kind of it's sort of it's not world music because it's not purist about it. It's not like uh, being sort of holier than thou, like sort of Pierre Gabriel, very referential. It's just like, fuck it, just you know, shepherd <laughs> these moments together. But there was, yeah, I mean, I, I there's certain albums that I that I love as a, a consumer and there's certain albums that I love as a producer where you hear another producer's work and you just think, oh, cause you know, the way, you've made, brought those things together and, and especially if it's something as disparate as field recordings that you've made and then taking them back to london and then chopping them up moving around yeah i i, I yeah duck rock was a huge inspiration to me as a producer
1: yeah um right we're at the daft end of the um uh, uh, uh of the interview now where i ask everybody these um kind of smash its type questions you know i never
0: got i never got that far. I, I, I was to listen to your thomas darby one Nice All right. right. <laughs> I, never, I never got as far as the daft questions. Here
1: we go, <laughs> well, here they are. Um, okay, it, there is. It, it's, there's no right or wrong answers. Don't worry. Okay. Um, what's your favourite film? Uh, the Big Lebowski. Yeah, a lot of people like that one. Yeah. Um, uh, favourite book. Favourite book. The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist. Yes, good socialist tome. That's, That's definitely movie. it. Um. Solidarity. (laughs) Love that word. Uh, Favourite TV show? Present, past, box set? Anything you want.
0: Ah, For um, Fargo. Yeah. Fargo, the series.
1: Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, Other musical artist or composer? Um... It doesn't have to be definitive. Um, you know, it could be one of them. Well, I've liked
0: everything that David Byrne's ever done. Um, yeah, David Byrne.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, an epiphanal moment in your life, a a a moment of realization or a kind of fork in the road or a handbrake turn or something that changed your life. Anyway.
0: Uh. you better say it <laughs> well, yeah I'm, yeah uh that really, we're, i'm only
1: we're
0: not, joking um no i, I th- no you know what buying my 1st TAC tiac144 port studio yes i a friend of mine's dad had one and he used to lend it to me for odd weekends and then i saved up and up and I, you can imagine how much for you know 16 year old a lot school boy uh uh but yeah the joy of multi-track, full oh, track, yeah. multi-track recording. Um it changed
1: our lives completely when yeah. we bought one of those. So and it, and it, it
0: was different, it was so much different from trying to form a band and trying to talk other people into what you wanted to do, just to just sit there and just play with sounds and, and, and play with making your own records on your own. Yeah, my 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 one four four port studio. yep Um
1: excellent. Um ambition Unfulfilled.
0: To score a really good
1: film—that's my ambition as well. I've to never score
0: actually... the whole. Just score the whole film in this in something like Rikuda doing Paris, Texas, or George Moroder doing Midnight Express. You know, yeah. I've done bits. I've done bits and scenes, and I've done overseeing. I've done you know musical director choosing the music but for me to score the whole thing it probably never happened because i'm not really a good composer or scorer and i would only do it if it was a really good film which yeah. i wouldn't know from reading the script so that's the one that i'll probably i'll take to my grave
1: yeah i really admire uh john carpenter actually um and his scores you know escape from new york and that kind of thing um
0: i just i just love the way again coming back to that pocket i love the way that 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 music can uh, it can as part of the soundtrack of a film can make a scene or oh. an idea or a thing, just bring it to life and, and inversely it can work the other way around a, a piece of music can have a new life if it's used in a scene of a film I love the way that, that those two correlate
1: Completely um, Do you like visual art? I mean do you like painters, sculptors?
0: I love I love street art
1: street art okay so yeah uh, is love- going
0: to be the answer to this one yeah uh keith herring keith herring's my favorite
1: oh right yeah yeah which
0: yeah. again yeah. i thought I fell in love through duck rock rock because he did the cover of duck rock um but i i'm a keith herring collector but i also um i collaborate and i'm friends with lots of current artists like the london police and riker nice and, uh, yeah so i'm a bit of an art whore in my in my old age in- oh my Inky,
1: God.
0: yeah um yeah no so
1: i've collected yeah text collect modern street art or fantastic. Public art. fantastic um which of your own is your favorite Sorry? which of your own work is your favorite
0: um right here right now because it's still if it, it's playing out somewhere it still gives me goosebumps if it's you know if it if it's man city coming onto it on the telly i still get goosebumps
1: oh bless you um
0: not not about man city about the music (laughs) about about the correlation
1: yeah i can dig that um if you'd not been a musician what do you think you might have been
0: apart from trying to be a musician (laughs) uh fireman really yeah that was, there was a point in my career where I thought I was going to gonna have to get a proper job. I had a big tax bill and I, I hadn't had a hit for a couple of years and, and everyone was like, you're going to have to get a proper job and I looked at being a
1: fireman. Well, blow me down. That's fantastic. I love that. That's going on the greatest hits reel for the uh, all the podcasts. Um, song that you wish you'd written or one that you just, just always... Blows you
0: away. Um, Golden slumbers.
1: Golden slumbers. Stroke carry that weight.
0: Okay. Golden slumbers, That would be two in one because they kind of blend into yeah,
1: each
0: yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Just the most beautiful song in the world just brings me to tears.
1: Oh. And then,
0: and then the carry that weight bit brings me to. Yeah. Me to
1: the, the, the way
0: the two the two come one at a time, yeah. I, I just let's just the most. I mean, Abbey Road is my favourite album. Uh, Abbey Road has always been my favourite album. It was kind of when I was old enough to my parents bought it, and I was old enough to appreciate how good it was. And but also in terms of production and things like that, it was so ahead of its time, and and it still sounds so beautifully produced now. So as a with my as a punter and as a producer, I think it's the best album of all time, and that's probably the best moment of it. What's uh,
1: this is not on my list, by the way. But what's your favourite? Uh, you do you, you're kind of like a, a, a the Don of home recording. But uh, what's your favourite studio? Do you like Abbey Road, uh, Air, or you know? Do, have you which ones are you favourite? It's your favourite?
0: I've not worked in Abbey Road. I've been in Abbey Road to look at it.
1: How you never just, worked in Abbey Road? Shit.
0: I, really, I do, I, I, like you said, I do everything at home. Right. In the House Mines, in the house mines we worked at Yellow 2 in Stockport. We did a, a, two days in air, and we were in the Strong Room. We did the first album in the Strong Room. Yeah, I worked in the Strong and Room. And every – oh, no, actually, you know, we did work at Campus Point with oh, excuse
1: me that was
0: quite a laugh yeah <laughs> uh yeah that was i mean that was a get you know that was we were we were assigned to ireland and they said where do you want to record the next album anywhere and, uh, and compass point you know they said oh yeah you know obviously we own compass point and i'm like compass point where sly thank and you. robbie and
1: thank yeah,
0: you yeah yeah and um <laughs> and uh, tina Weymouth's mum was living there while we were recording so we were hanging out with tina Weymouth's mum Wow. and uh i think robert palmer had been there the, the the month before and yeah that was yeah that's my favorite studio and yeah. just just knowing the vibes that bob marley recorded in there and sly yeah. and robbie and all the grace jones stuff and everything oh, you could feel God. those vibes yeah sadly i didn't replicate anything of quite <laughs> that, that quality yeah but, <laughs> no,
1: yeah. but
0: to be honest my favorite studio has always been at home Just when, as soon as I realised, well, I, you know, I started recording at home on on a port studio and as soon as I could afford good enough equipment that I could work at home, I much prefer that thing of just being, not having the clock running and not having producers telling you what to do, just being able to just experiment for days on end until until it goes right.
1: I love that. I love that. Final question. Um, What's your favourite synth?
0: my favorite synth the Moog prodigy
1: yeah, it's
0: it's cool. it, it, it it's the most rock and roll one
1: yeah yeah
0: and it's it's one of the easiest to understand I, I I I only learned like the basics of I had a mini Moog uh, I had a mini Moog with, with a memory like the se one uh rack mount one and I could just about work out what most of it did but not the <laughs> correlation between all the different ones. And I like the presets on a 106, but the Prodigy was the one that I would actually have fun playing. Wow. Uh, just because the, 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 those big tone wheels yeah, are yeah. so big and rock and roll to play with, but also they make, it, they make some weird noise.
1: <laughs> LFOs <laughs> on
0: everything. So yeah, Moot Prodigy.
1: Fantastic. Listen, this has been a total pleasure thank you so much for your generosity with your time and you'll be glad to know that you are going to be the 100th episode well
0: like i said thank you very much for being interested in and and i'm honored that you've even heard of me and, oh
1: shut up and I, managed,
0: I and and you managed to not let me fanboy you too much
1: <laughs> oh Don't, don't stop, stop, don't stop. Yeah, as they say. All right, man. I'll see you soon. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, thank you. Bye. Well, that was quite interesting, wasn't it? What a delightful chap. Um, Very generous with his uh, uh, comments about my career and work um, I had no idea but um, I've just got a real admiration for people who are so self-driven do it uh, as he said in the talk he, do, he does a lot of stuff on his own and and uh, he's confident enough to know that what he likes he thinks that probably everybody else will like very much uh, he's a very good producer great remixer Um comes from that kind of soul funk appreciation as well as punk which is very similar to my background so we have quite a lot in common he sold a lot more records though um but yeah i'm very um pleased to have made his acquaintance and um hopefully we'll meet up in the future and have a laugh um hope everybody's doing all right covid's not going away i know but um we're just having to get on with it aren't we And, um, but you know, we're in the middle of summer. Life's a little bit better. Just got to get rid of these Tories, that's all. Um, Sooner or later, at least the unions seem to have woken up. Um, Anyway, if you wish to send me an email, praise or grumble, ideas for guests or sections or questions I can ask them or. Uh, anything like that is It's electronicallymartin, with a Y, at gmail.com. And also consider helping to me to uh, continue doing this from a financial perspective by uh, going to patreon.com stroke electronically hours. Uh, and for the price of uh, a cup of tea in a cafe or a pint of beer in your local pub, you can... Help me keep this podcast going Keep it independent Keep it interesting We don't have any advertising on this podcast Whatsoever Also if anybody's interested in sponsoring the podcast um, Our last sponsors Very kindly did um, um, Four months worth uh, And now I'm looking for another sponsor or two So if you're interested It's not very expensive uh, Please drop me an email and we can discuss it Um, Next week There will be another exciting uh, person to listen to in conversation with me. I look forward to your company then. Bye! This is from Michael Woodhead in Sydney, Australia. Hi Martin, big fan of your podcast, not just because I'm a fan of m but the more amazing array of guests you've had, and it keeps getting better. It has become my weekend listening pattern this year as I mooch around the streets of Sydney under lockdown, listening to likes of Billy Curry, Will Sargent and Sandy Shaw tell all. The one person I'd love to hear more from is my doppelganger, Mick McNeil, keyboard player with Simple Minds. Huge fan of their early stuff, Empires and Dance in particular. I think I saw them once in the Ford Green pub in Leeds playing with the pretenders went off to went off them after they became a stadium band i'm pretty much sure i did as well i love those early albums though but i think he'd left by then anyway along with the bass player whatever i'd love to hear more about his role in the music cheers michael woodhead sydney thank you michael <clears throat> um, michael scott hi hey martin just a quick note to say how much i'm enjoying your podcast Not just blowing smoke up your ass, but they are genuinely great. Thank you. I've come to these late to the party, so I'm devouring them as fast as I can. I started at later episodes and have gone back to the start to catch up. Something you said in your interview with Jerry Casale, you mentioned Colin Thurston and how he wasn't a proper producer in the old sense of the word, but more of a slick engineer that lost the league's rawness. Well, that was our experience with him uh, uh, too. I was the keyboard synth player in a three-piece band that got signed by RCA in 82. They were called East of Java from Leeds and never troubled the charts, but we had an amazing time with some great people in in big expensive studios and it paved the way for my later career writing music for TV and I'm endlessly grateful for that experience. In fairness to Colin Thurston, he was a lovely chap and invited us to his house and was very gracious in every respect. But musically, it was all at toes. It didn't really contribute anything other than a highly polished sound. <clears throat> I can remember thinking that my estimation of Duran Duran went up tenfold, as I know that what was on those first couple of albums was all them. Anyway, a studio friend told me re- only recently that Colin went off the rails with depression, booze and other substances some years ago and sadly it took his toll and he passed away. That's incredibly sad. I didn't know that. Well, respect to Colin, I'm sorry about that. I've been fortunate enough to meet and chat with quite a few of your guests in person during that time, but we were just little twerps chancing our arm, so I'm sure not remembered by any of them. (coughs) My parents found themselves living in Matlock Bath in Derbyshire, just as I was starting my teen years, so Sheffield was the nearest and best place to be on a weekend. Despite Derbyshire being a graveyard, I still managed to catch the tail end of punk. But then, '79, I heard Reproduction, and it totally changed my perspective. That is what I want to do. So, somehow, I managed to get hold of an EDP was synth. They were fun. And I was off. Had many a superb synth since then, <clears throat> that humble introduction, and my late... And in my late 50s, I'm lucky to say I still have some fantastic knobs to twiddle, both old and new. Managed to get a cancellation ticket for the Sheffield City Hall gig this year. By the way, it was amazing. By the way, it was amazing. Keep on keeping on, Martin. Loving the trips down memory lane. Cheers, Mike Scott. That's really kind of you. Thank you, Mike. I'm very sorry to hear the news about Colin Thurston. <coughs> my uh, regards... Um, and condolences to his family and friends uh, this is the second part of the email from Michael Scott uh, recommendations Zeus be held Hans Zimmer I'd love that either of those in fact David Sylvian I've been talking to him but he's thinking it over left field suggestion Dave Trot, legendary advertising creative I'm uh, not sure about that Mike okay this is Alexis Bigmore. Hi, Martin. Just dropping a note to thank you for your superb podcasts. I've so far enjoyed British synth pop legends Vince Clark, Dave Ball and John Fox. I'm looking forward to listening to more. I love your easy, relaxed style. Thank you. Looking forward to your Northern Soul electro collaboration with Dave Ball. It's going to be good. Please, please make this happen. It will. I would love to hear interviews with Alan Wilder, Chris and Cozy, Richard James, AFX Twin, Me Too, <clears throat> Matt Johnson, Yellow, Pet Shop Boys. PPS, I'm a big fan of the early HL albums and singles. Have a great Christmas. Thanks, Alexis. Uh, this is from DJ H. I like your podcast and became a Patreon. Looking forward to the Christmas exclusive. You may like this consider it a Christmas present it's a DJ mix that could well serve uh, stay safe have a great Christmas all the best for 22 hope to see you in April in Frankfurt das Bet. assuming fucking Covid allows best Herbert P.S. I like the podcast with the graphic designers as I used to earn my money as a journalist and graphic designer when I, I was a student back then I was impressed by Neville Brody but my gut feel is your guest did not share my love for Brody's work so be it no 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 Um, malcolm garrett my great friend is a was a colleague of neville brody's and um you know we have got great respect for his work and here we go alex mayor hello hi martin it's a friday habit now to check your podcast interviews as you know from my previous emails i'm a keen admirer of electronic music and your work but I must say, shame on you for not being up to date with ACT's music. I know I apologise for that. And Cladera is your friend as well. I, I I can't help the fact that I I just never came across it. You know, it's not that I didn't I sought I didn't seek it out. I just didn't know it existed. Snobbery indicates one of the best eighties singles, and their short catalog work is equally great. You must give it a listen. I've listened to it now; it's really good. Enjoyed the Ivan Doroschuk interview. Interesting guy to listen to. I would have liked to have known more why you thought Rhythm of Youth was not a commercial success in the UK. Uh, just recalling the Day Ball interview, did you follow up with the idea of, yes, we're doing that now? And uh, as most will say, Billy McKenzie stories from Alan Rankin in part two interview, please. The Associates' music remains as relevant today as it did when it was made, I agree. As for podcast topic suggestions, A, Italo disco music, B. Why some big electronic artists in Europe failed to cross over to the UK? C. The Forgotten 80s Gems. D. The influence of 12 inch mixers. Suggestions for interviewees Ron Mail, X, Jim Irving, Paul Haig, Claudia Brook, and Dave Stewart, Dieter Bolin, Magna Furholm, Trevor Horn, Mike Thorne, Michael Cretu, Ian Donaldson, David Freeman, Steve Jolly, Tony Swain. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Alex. <clears throat> This is David Derling. Mr Ware, greetings from sunny Southern California. Just wanted to take a moment to thank you much for your amazing podcast. I am hooked. Loved every interview you've done, made way through about a dozen so far. You've got a long way to go. Even when they're with people I'm unfamiliar with, there's always something valuable to glean, musically, artistically, politically, from each and every one. Thank you. My favourites so far have been... Gary Newman, that story at the end, wow, and Stephen Mallinder. I really wish that one had gone on longer, actually. I've always been a big Cabs fan. I love the smash hits questions towards the end of each episode as well. There's always a book or film mentioned, often with such enthusiasm that I'm reaching for the pen and scrap of paper to write down the titles. Isn't Isn't this a great unintended consequence? Are you getting recommendations from some really interesting and important artists? I, I I've certainly found out a lot, good uh, doing this. As far as suggestions for future interview subjects, Chris and Cozy again, Neil Ten, Wolfgang Fluor, Carl Bartos, Annie Lennox, Dave Stewart, Eno. Uh Heinbeck, Familiar with him, out of Germany? Um thanks again for your hard work tracking these folks down interviewing them, coming up with the interesting questions editing it all and presenting the finished project for us to enjoy I for one totally appreciate it a joy to listen to late at night after the missus has gone to bed Tartar for now, Dave Derling, Costa Mesa, California thanks David